Well, we made it through the Pentateuch. It only took us three and a half years, but we, we made it through. This morning we begin the book of Joshua. Joshua, or Yahweh is salvation. In the Greek, it is simply Jesus saves. Joshua, the book of Joshua, is the first of what we call the historical books. It is considered the first book of the prophets. Joshua himself is the main author of the book, and it was written around 15 uh, to 1300 B.C. We know the Exodus date of of Israel from Egypt, that was 1446 B.C. And the conquering of Canaan, the promised land, it takes seven years. And that, uh, that will be the main focus of the book of Joshua. Canaan was conquered in fulfilling the promise of God that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, that they would inherit the land. Joshua himself went through a name change, which was a little more common than we think back in that time. And he went from uh, Hoshea to Joshua, and that happened in uh, Numbers chapter 13. Joshua, the son of Nun, the tribe of Ephraim, Joshua was the chief assistant to Moses, and Moses, of course, the leader of Israel. Joshua and Caleb were two of the 12 spies sent out by Moses, and they're the only ones that brought back a good report, only Joshua and Caleb. Thus, Joshua and Caleb are the only two who survived the wilderness that were over 20 years old, to see the promised land. Moses didn't even get to uh, go into the promised land. So you have a fraternity of two, Joshua and Caleb. Now, when they had a class reunion, they didn't have to go through a lot of difficulty finding one another. I was surprised that my old high school found me here in I live in Tennessee. After 50 years, they found me. <laughs> Good for them. I didn't go. But anyway, uh, one of Moses' last duties as leader was to inaugurate Joshua as Israel's new leader. That happens in Deuteronomy chapter 31. And in this inauguration... Moses laid hands on Joshua, prayed over him, and God gave the spirit of wisdom to Joshua. And that is a trait every leader needs, God's wisdom. Joshua, another name for Jesus. Joshua, Jesus is a, uh, Joshua named Jesus, of course, in the Greek, uh, is a typology of bringing God's people into the promised land. The law could not do that. Moses was the lawgiver. 
And Moses and the law cannot bring the people into the land of promise. The law is simply, we're told by Paul, a schoolmaster, showing us how short we fall of God's standard. Having said all this, and talking about the background, let's jump, jump into Joshua chapter 1, and we'll read the first nine verses. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that God spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses." From the wilderness and, and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea towards the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide an inheritance, the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For, you will, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Wow, what a passage. Joshua. A servant of a servant. Moses uh, was a great servant, and Joshua was his servant. And servant simply means minister. In the Calvary Chapel system, we try to be strong in servanthood. A good pastor is a pastor who serves his people. When a person is a good servant, they earn the right to speak with authority into lives. As a servant, you earn that right to be able to speak to your neighbor, to a friend, to an acquaintance, if you serve them. Joshua, he's been a faithful minister slash servant. He's been faithful to Moses. He's been a good assistant to Moses. And now Joshua will lead the entire nation of Israel into Canaan. Joshua, the new leader, he was a servant long before he became Israel's leader. I often express to anyone around here that will really listen to me. When we become too busy 
to serve just one person or when we think we're too important to serve just one person, we have lost sight of our Lord Jesus. In verses 2 and 3, we hear God declare, he declares in the present tense, and he, in verse 3, he declares in the past tense, I am giving, or I have given Israel the promised land, and they're about to go in. God has given Joshua a taste of his faithfulness. It's a done deal, Joshua. All you have to do is be obedient. Which brings us to a question. Has God given you a promise? A future blessing that you have not yet seen come about? Then pay attention to what God says to Joshua, and you may find yourself right there. In verse 5, God says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. But here are the conditions, Joshua. To receive this great promise and blessing, we have in verses 6, 7, and 9, we hear God saying to Joshua, Be strong and of good courage, and your people will divide the land as an inheritance. Verse 7, Be strong and of good courage. Obey the law. I gave this law to Moses, and if you obey the law, you will be prosperous. And then in verse 9, Have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and of good courage? That's a three-peat. Reminds you of Peter. <laughs> Everything that seemed to happen to Peter was in threes, three denials, threes, so forth. But uh, God promises to bless and prosper good courage in himself. If anything, as a believer, I want to be of good courage. I detest wimpy pastors that will not speak forth God's word in authority. Joshua, you're not to be afraid. You're not to be dismayed. For God says, I am with you wherever you go. What a great comfort. What a great blessing. Three times God tells him, be strong and of good courage. God is simply telling Joshua, man up. <laughs> and Joshua will have to go in and take the land. And sometimes he'll have to fight. There will be battles for the land. And Joshua is to be strong and of good courage. And when you're strong and of good courage, there's no room for fear. So let's look at fear or being afraid. The command, do not be afraid, is God telling us, his people, you have the choice, you have an option to live in fear, being afraid, or not. I prefer the or not. I don't like being afraid. Uh, 
I think we can all be afraid of certain things, certain circumstances. You have a big severe thunderstorm roll in, lightning hits close by, I get afraid. <laughs> we have some nasty storms that come through our area, and uh, I think that's a healthy fear. <laughs> uh, in the Gospels, Jesus mentioned over 30 different times, and most of these times were to his followers and disciples, do not be afraid. 30 different times. Fear can cause us to buy guns, put bars on our windows, purchase security systems. Fear can cause stress, and stress can bring about poor health. But the fact remains, we do live in a violent world. Many large companies now are having training exercises in the event a shooter should come into your company. What do you do? Every time there is some multiple shooting, gun sales go up. Every time our government speaks of gun control, Gun sales go up. I have a shooting range out at my little farm, and I'm busier than ever. <laughs> so bring your guns, come on out, shoot, I don't care. But anyway, um, recently, very recently, within the last two weeks, a friend of mine who has a concealed weapon permit, he diffused a road rage situation by simply pulling out his pistol and pointing it towards an irate driver that was coming towards him, cursing him. When the guy saw the gun, his attitude changed. <laughs> he went back to his car and got in his car. So guns can have a good purpose. <laughs> but being afraid, living in fear, it's real in our world today. So we should take comfort in how Jesus approached being afraid with his disciples. And we'll look at one of those times. Turn with me to Luke chapter 8, and we'll look at verses 22 through 25. Luke 8. Chapter, uh, chapter 8, 22 through 25. Now it happened on a certain day that he, Jesus, got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Then he arose, rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus gets into this boat, probably a fishing boat, might have been one of the boats that the disciples had owned or were part owner in. 
And there's several of the disciples that are fishermen. They are familiar with the Sea of Galilee. And he declares, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And as soon as he says this and they launch out, Jesus promptly falls asleep. This is not a little power nap. He is out like a light. Without a doubt, our Lord is very tired. So he's taking rest by sleeping. A windstorm comes down upon the Sea of Galilee. And they, they had a name for them. They called them Euroclidons. And they were severe winds. That, and this wind is beating upon their boat. And their little boat is filling with water. This little boat they're on is in danger of sinking. Just ask the disciples. <laughs> it's a true life and death little storm. Not little storm. It can be very severe there. Ask these fishermen that are familiar with this lake and probably their boat. And, and they go, Master, Master, we're perishing. It's not unusual for men of that day and age to have a great fear of sailing. A lot of people had a fear of sailing in vessels, open vessels like that. Paul in 2 Corinthians, he writes and speaks of him being beaten for, for his faith. And then he says, that wasn't the worst of it. Three times I was shipwrecked and spent a night and a day in the deep. That's the thing that terrified Paul, that, he's, that he would sail on the Mediterranean Sea. And three times he was shipwrecked. And it was a fearful experience for Paul. And when you study Paul and you look at his missionary journeys, oftentimes he would avoid sailing and walk to his next destination, preferring terra firma versus sailing. Paul, without a doubt, did not like to sail. There's a very well-known Calvary Chapel pastor who avoids, and he has a, a church that's right near the water, and he avoids getting in boats and going out on the ocean. His thinking is, why go out into a shark's environment? <laughs> He's just afraid of going, going out on a boat on the ocean. Well, maybe that's founded, maybe it isn't. So when the fishermen on this little boat with Jesus proclaim, we are perishing, understand that little boat's in big trouble. It really is in big trouble. It's filling with water. So the disciples, they wake Jesus up. And if Jesus would have been like me, he would have been grumpy. But not Jesus. No. Jesus arose. He rebuked the winds and the waves. And they obeyed him. And there was an instant great calm. That raging Sea of Galilee became flat as a pancake. That's a miracle. This is not an ordinary storm or turbulence that is coming down upon that uh, area because they came down and they came down on a kind of a common basis. But this storm is of Satan. Well, how can you say that, Pastor Don? Because Jesus rebuked it. He rebuked it. 
We know our Lord rebuked it. He says he, that he stood up and rebuked the fierce winds, these raging waves. And then the Lord has a question. My disciples, where is your faith? And you can almost hear them. Faith? Where's my life jacket? <laughs> what am I going to do here? In the natural, we completely understand the disciples' fears, their concerns. They're perishing. They're about to drown, and it's a real threat. But faith is contrary, opposes the circumstance that we're looking at. Faith is not natural. It's not a natural emotion. Faith is not a logical conclusion. And notice this. And we read, after the rebuking of the winds and the waves, the disciples are afraid. After? Right after being overly concerned about dying, they become terribly afraid. These disciples, these companions of Jesus, they have an amazing question for one another. And they're speaking about Jesus, and they say to one another, who can this be that commands the winds and the wave, and they obey him? The disciples are in slack-jaw amazement, and that's an understatement. The disciples realize Jesus, their teacher, their rabbi, commands the winds and the waves, and that they, the disciples, are in a little boat with God himself. That is amazing to them. This severe storm has only put their emotions on edge. They're highly emotional now. They think they're about to die, and that can be very frightful, but their biggest fear comes when they realize that they are in the presence of God. There's a lesson there. Lisa Magaha, many of you know Lisa and her family. A tornado hit their home in 2011. Her husband, two of her children are lying under a, a chimney that has collapsed. Their home has been blown away. And people come to her and tell her to seek shelter because there's another tornado perhaps on the way. That was total foolishness to Lisa. Everything she cared about was laying there in a brick pile. And people are telling her to seek shelter, and she goes, be afraid. Nothing else can happen worse than what has already happened. So our fears can be misplaced for sure. 
The disciples have seen storms, especially the fishermen, disciples. But they have what we would call an epiphany. They have a life-changing realization that God is Jesus. And he's in their boat. God is in the boat with them. The calming of the sea by Jesus, it marvels the disciples. And then they are greatly afraid. They were afraid before. They said we're perishing. But now they are greatly afraid. And I think the writer of Luke, Luke himself, probably got the information from the disciples after the calming of the sea, they become tremendously afraid because they are now in the, they realize, in the presence of God. They're not afraid of the calm. The calm seas doesn't frighten them. What frightens them is who calmed the seas. God himself has calmed the seas. The disciples have witnessed the power of God above and beyond the power of nature, even a satanic storm. Moses, Pharaoh's armies behind them, they're trapped by the Red Sea. Moses is told to lift up his rod. The waters part and they walk through the Red Sea. They walk through water that was perhaps 50 to 60 feet deep. Can you imagine seeing 50 to 60 feet of water on your left and right and you're walking through the midst of it? That had to be an experience too. So Moses had an experience with water. The disciples have one. And we too can have experiences with things that frighten us. So today, we live in a world where gun sales are soaring, mainly because of fear. People are simply afraid. People are troubled. There's acts of terrorism. There's mass shootings. And it's going on, and the news, of course, broadcasts these loud and long. And people are troubled. People are afraid. Let me read you one other little short passage here. John 14, 1 through 3. Jesus, knowing that his disciples are troubled, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus, being the word, wants his word to comfort us, especially us who believe in him. 
Do not be troubled, for I go to prepare a place for you. I want you to be where I am. Don't let this life trouble you or scare you. So I encourage all of us, live with the hope of one day being with Jesus. But you don't have to talk about one day in the future. Jesus said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's right there with us each and every day. And he has given us the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to make us assure of that truth. So don't live in fear. Don't let the five o'clock news trouble you. Don't let the mass shootings trouble you. Jesus is with you, and he'll never believe you nor forsake you. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Lord, I want to thank you for being the good shepherd. You tell us you are the good shepherd, and you would lay down your life for the sheep, so we have nothing to fear. Lord, we want to be like the disciples. We want to have that awesome respect of you. We want to realize that you're there with us wherever we go. You told Joshua that you would never leave him or forsake him. You tell us the same truth, Lord. You will never leave us nor forsake us. Let us, let us latch on to that, Lord. Let us live a life that's outgoing and joyous and abundant, not one that's dictated by fear. We don't want to be afraid, Lord. We want to be trusting in you and relying upon you. We want to be looking to you, our hope and our salvation. Help us to do that by your spirit, Lord. Comfort us, your people, and let us be quick to give you thanks and praise. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.